Thank you for joining us today. We're here to talk about an important topic that we've all come across as healthcare professionals and community members. Welcome. My name is Jamie Felzer. I'm currently a third year pulmonary critical care fellow and assistant professor of medicine at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. I'm an apprentice on the Behavioral Science and Health Services Research Committee for ATS. And today I want to talk with you all about vaccine hesitancy since hesitancy, uptake, disparities in vaccination have been an interest of mine and a current focus of my research. But before we get started, Chris, why don't you introduce yourself? Sure. Um, my name is Chris Warsham. I am a pulmonologist and intensivist uh, and health services researcher at Mass General Hospital and Harvard Medical School in Boston. I am the co-chair of the BSHSR Early Career Working Group, and I study physician and patient behavior and mental biases, and I'm excited to talk about some of the uh, more nuanced aspects of vaccine hesitancy today. Perfect. Thank you so much for joining us, Chris. Excited to have you here on the podcast with us and share your expertise. So I guess I'll kind of get started. We we hear this term of vaccine hesitancy thrown around a lot, but I, I think it's useful to start with what is vaccine hesitancy? And so WHO describes it as the delay in acceptance or refusal to vaccinate despite the availability of vaccine services. And this is really a wide spectrum of um, vaccine hesitancy, wherein some people accept vaccines, but maybe others are not quite sure if they should accept it, um, and they may delay their vaccinations, or they um, may take certain vaccines, but not others. So it's very much a continuum of vaccine hesitancy. There are many reasons why uh, people are hesitant towards vaccines. Um, and it can be complex, it can be context specific, it can vary across time or place or type of vaccine. And there's a lot of factors that influence it. So from your point of view, Chris, why is a vaccine hesitancy such a big deal? I think, you know, a lot of us know the obvious answers here, which which are that on sort of on an individual level for a patient in front of you, if you're not vaccinated, you're not going to be protected against the disease. Um, and I, I think most of us know that. And, and most of us also know that on a population level, you need to have a certain number of people vaccinated um, to prevent spread of the disease to get that herd immunity. Um, you know, for example, we, we think for measles, uh, we need about a 95% um, vaccination rate to, to really achieve herd immunity. And when we fall below that is when we start to see some of these measles outbreaks breaks like we've seen in New York City. Um, you know, the, I, I think the question is, why is it a big deal sort of as a major public health issue is a much broader question and a tougher question to answer, partly because I think as we're going to talk about today, there are so many facets of vaccine hesitancy why people are hesitant to get vaccinated that touch upon so many different pieces of what determines our behavior surrounding vaccinations as patients, um, what what determines um, how health systems and governments are actually able to, to get vaccines to people, to get them, to take them, to get them, to trust them. So there's a lot of pieces there. And, and if we think about COVID-19, for example, we saw certain pub 
populations, um, you know, income based, education based, um, racially based groups, politically based groups that had different amounts of vaccine uptake, different amounts of vaccine hesitancy, and that left some of these groups at at higher risk. And so getting to the bottom of it and what makes people hesitant against vaccines in a certain time and place and disease um, is is a really variable question with variable answers. You're exactly right. It's it's a very complicated question. I just tried to ask you to sum it up in a, a few words, and I know that's a, a pretty near impossible task, but I, I think uh, you, you very nicely summed up why there are so many reasons why people may not become vaccinated. Um, I also think it's important to kind of note that vaccine hesitancy is nothing that's new to us. We have seen vaccine hesitancy since we started vaccinating people when Edward Jenner did this in 1798. So, um, but the dynamics of vaccine hesitancy have certainly changed since those early days. I think one of the other um, interesting things to, to think about is that our scientific advances in vaccines have really made it so that we don't actually see the dangerous side effects and outcomes from a lot of the um, vaccines that we have now that are preventing these diseases. And so I, a lot of people forget how terrible some of these diseases could be. And obviously there are you know, so many different reasons why people are hesitant and we need to take it in context of that specific disease. In your standpoint, what what are some of the additional reasons? I know you just kind of touched a broad overview on on what some of these reasons were, but um, there's kind of a framework that I know a lot of us think about in the vaccine hesitancy world. Um, do you maybe want to go into a little bit of that more? Sure, and I, I think what um, you're referencing is uh, the WHO's um, framework for thinking about vaccine hesitancy, uh, which I think really nicely describes a lot of the behavioral factors and, and motivations behind decisions as to whether or not to vaccinate. Um, and so they break it down into the three C's. Um, there's sort of this fourth C there too that, that we can add. Um, but so complacency, convenience, and confidence are the classic three C's. And then there's the fourth C of communication. Um, and so just going through those systematically, um, complacency, um, in some ways, this word, I think, is just a word they chose because it began with C, but it's really this, this idea that um, people are not particularly worried about the vaccine, or, excuse me, worried about the disease that the vaccine is preventing. And so then if they're not concerned about the disease, then vaccination is not a priority. Um and we saw that, you know, an example of this with COVID-19 was, was this attitude that COVID-19 is just a common cold or just like the flu. And people think of, you know, whether or not that's true or not, people think of them as sort of um, not particularly hazardous diseases. And so getting a vaccine isn't a priority if you're not worried about whatever it's preventing. The second C is convenience. Um, and so like how easy or hard is it to get a vaccine? And, and I think this is actually a much bigger factor than 
we would like to think it is. Um, so can you, is a vaccine available? Can you afford it? Can you get to the doctor for COVID-19? Can you um, sit around for 15 minutes after it's taken? I just took my kids to get their third COVID series, right? Like it, it's it's so hard to actually get vaccinated a lot of times that even people who want to be vaccinated, the convenience factors, the logistics prevent them from doing it. And then there's the confidence factors. Another C, this idea that um, there is a lack of trust in your doctor, in pharmaceutical companies making vaccines, in the governments that are recommending the vaccines. Um, and in many ways, this confidence factor was very much on display um, during COVID-19, where if you don't trust the, the doctors, drug companies, politicians involved in making the vaccine, why are you going to take it? Um, and so it's easy to see how, how if you don't have confidence in the process, you're not going to have confidence in the vaccine, you're going to be less likely to get it. And then finally, this this issue of communication is um, one that we also saw a lot of, um, whether it's misinformation, disinformation, um, clouding the water, um, or just information not making it to people, even good information not, not making it to people who need to see it. Um, and this is, again, like you said, a lot of this stuff has been an issue for a long time. But in the age of social media, it, it is an exponentially larger issue that I, I think we're um, not particularly um, knowledgeable on, on how to deal with. Yeah, I, I think that's a great framework. I, I really appreciate that, Chris, the, the WHO framework of the three C's. And uh, I, I agree, the communication is, is definitely a, a big part of how do we make sure that um, people believe in the scientific process and they understand the scientific rigor that went behind each and every aspect of a vaccine? And and I completely agree with you that yeah, the convenience is a, a huge part of this, you know, especially um, when we look at different communities and how are they going to be able to access the vaccines? Um, are they going to be able to take time off work? You know, are they going to be able to not only take time off work, but get their kids, take them to the doctor, schedule all their kids at the same time? Or are they going to be required to, you know, go to different appointments for each kid and different times? And uh, I think that that's definitely something we need to evaluate as we're moving forward to to make it easy for people to receive their vaccinations, both as adults and especially as children, as we know that's one of the um, the places that people get the most vaccinations is in early childhood. Um, and I, I I think you know there's this other term we've uh, seen thrown around called the infodemic, and I think that that's something important to talk about too because. If, if there's false information floating around, um, social media makes it a lot easier for that to be spread. And, uh, you know, it can just spread very quickly. And I think that that's important that we're, we're having credible sources up on the internet. And I know um, a lot of different sites have made that a priority in making sure that credible science-based information um, is available on, you know, uh, the internet and that we can promote, you know, evidence-based evi um, uh, information for this. I guess 
something else that I I thought maybe we could talk about a little bit is um, how we're able to, or I, I guess how we're able to talk about um, disparities in people receiving different vaccinations and. Um, we, we've seen that there are disparities in vaccine uptake between different races and ethnicities. Um, we know that people with lower socioeconomic status, lower education, communities of color, th these are the same populations that often have a higher burden of disease, um, and they're also more hesitant to receive um, vaccines. I mean, do you have any other ideas as, as why this, you know, this is this way, or how how can we combat this moving forward? Because ultimately, I think that we want everyone to be able to have the same access uh, and information about vaccines. Yeah, I think when we saw a lot of these disparities, um, particularly with COVID, I think there's sometimes this sort of tendency to think that um, there's sort of one problem that needs to be addressed. If we could only fix this, then then it would solve the problems. And, and I, I think one of the reasons why this WHO framework with, with the three Cs is so helpful is because you can say, oh, well, let's think about these factors, right? If we go back to um, all of all of these factors, if we have complacency, right, are people not concerned about the disease, right? Is the message getting some of that factors into communication? Is the message getting to every population, um, uh, people with you know from different cultural backgrounds or, or who get their information from different sources? Are they getting good information so that they understand the risks, right? That's one factor. This convenience factor, I think, a lot of the populations. Uh, that have been under-vaccinated um, are also the same populations that are underserved by healthcare in general before the pandemic, during, and after the pandemic. And in many ways, the pandemic made a lot of this worse. So if it was hard to get to the clinic, if it was hard to get time off of work, um, if it was hard to, um, you know, uh, get take off work to bring your kids somewhere, right? Those issues that were issues before are going to be issues when people need to get vaccinated as well. And they tend to disproportionately affect a lot of populations. Same thing goes with confidence. Are you going to trust a healthcare system that for um, the entire history of that healthcare system has systematically uh, marginalized a lot of communities, right? There's plenty of reasons not to trust uh, the healthcare system in general, the public health system in general. Um, and so when we're talking about some of the solutions that are out there, some of the broader policy solutions, a lot of those, in my opinion, really have to center around building back trust um, with populations um, that have plenty of reasons not to trust various systems in the US. Thank you, Chris. I think that that's just a perfect way to kind of tie everything together. Um, all the, the the framework of how to think about, you know, vaccine hesitancy and um, about how it's affecting each and every person and different communities. 
So I, um, I have a, a question for you, Jamie, is, is yeah. I'm, I'm sure both of us have experienced talking with um, patients who, who were hesitant and um, curious to hear your experience uh, with people who, who maybe when they met you, they were hesitant. And then by, by the end of your conversation, um, were agreeable to a vaccine. What are some of the things you navigated, the, the factors that came up and the things you, you've had to address? Absolutely. Thank, thank you for that, Chris. I think um, you're right. That's something that we uh, talk about um, in clinic. You know, I do my pulmonary clinic and previously internal medicine clinic. And um, obviously, I, I love talking about vaccines. So I know that it's part of my um, uh, template for every each and every patient that I see in clinic. Um, and so I, I make a note of it. And so I, I always talk about it with my patients. And I think that that's so important because I think that every time that we encounter a patient, it, whether it's a routine visit or, um, you know, just a, a visit for something totally unrelated, we should, if we have the time um, to talk about vaccines, right? So the way I generally approach it is I see what vaccines they've received. Um, as a pulmonologist, I'm focusing more on the, the respiratory related ones. So influenza, pneumococcus, um, their Tdap and uh, COVID-19. And so um, I will see what they're up to date on and what they're not up to date on based on the uh, guidelines. And then if they're not up to date on something, I just, I, I ask them, I say, you know, I see that you haven't received your influenza vaccine for this year. Can I ask why? Um, and so it's first just kind of an information gathering stage and and asking, you know, is there a reason why you're not vaccinated for influenza? And then, you know, I, I listen to their response. And then, um, you know, I, there, I try to figure out, you know, how can I give you some good scientific information about it, but also not push you because I, I want you to make this decision. And a lot of this is based on trust. And so this is generally something that I talk about at the end of my appointment with the patient after we've gone through all the other issues and I've sat down and better understood you know, what, what their com concerns are and how we can move forward. And this is one of the, the end things that I talk about and how can we, you know, promote a healthy lifestyle for you. And so I talk about it. Um, and I, I think those are some of my biggest successes is at the end of an appointment when I've been able to talk to someone about a vaccine and if they came in and they're like said that they didn't want to get a vaccine and then at the end, they're like, sure, yeah, I'll get the flu vaccine. I'll get my, you know, pneumococcal vaccine. And I think those are some of my biggest successes. Um, I think there there are some standardized methods um, that um, have been published. And I think that they're a great framework to think about it. So there's um, one framework called the CASE method, and that stands for corroborate about me science and explain or advise. And so basically what that is, is you, you try to understand um, what where the patient is coming from, and then you try to identify a shared goal or aspiration, which in this case is going to be vaccination. And you corroborate that they may have some hesitancy about something, but you give them scientific information about why a vaccine is important. And then you use, um, 
um, presumptive language and strong language to to show them that it's really important that they do get their vaccine. And I think that that um, is something that's been uh, shown to really have um, a strong impact on getting people vaccinated. So, you know, after this visit, your nurse is going to come in and give you the COVID-19 vaccine, or I, you know, really strongly recommend that you get this vaccine. It's safe and effective. And so using that strong language has also been shown to be really effective. But what what are some of the other strategies that you use? I, I think the idea of trust is for me is just so central to this um and like you said when you do it at the end of the visit you have obviously you have to make enough time to you know set set aside enough time to do it but I, i the idea of doing it at the end of the visit because you've been spending the previous whatever 15 20 30 minutes building trust is the time to do it right i think as pulmonologists um, a lot of us, um, if we're seeing patients with asthma or COPD or interstitial lung disease, those types of patients are patients who see us a lot. And if they see us a lot and we're able to help them breathe, they probably place a lot of trust in us. And so we might be that doctor for them from whom they need to hear this advice. It might mean more coming from you than that random person at urgent care that they saw once or even their primary care doctor, right? If, if this is a patient with with serious pulmonary issues. And so I, I think just keeping in mind that we might be that source of trust for that patient. Um, and that can happen in the hospital too. Uh, it's happened a number of times in the hospital where I've gotten to know you over a couple of days, we've built up some trust. Now's my chance to get to get those vaccines because you you know me and you trust me. I, I think that's just such an immensely important factor um, that when you sense that a patient trusts you and you see that they need vaccines, um, that's that's the opportunity to to get in there and explain to them w- why you think they should have it. Yeah, I I totally agree. I yeah, I think inpatient, outpatient, you're you're going to be that familiar face and um, you know the the person that they trust. And I think trust gets back to a lot of the um, issues that we talked about earlier, and in people not trusting someone. And so if you can be that person that someone can trust and depend on to give them, you know, the scientifically sound information and um, sit down and understand what their fears are. Um, I think that a lot of, you know, studies have shown that really if time is one of the biggest barriers um, to, to getting people vaccinated, whether you have to discuss other health issues or you just don't have time in your visit to discuss it. Um, obviously, there's a lot of other strategies, I think, um, that in big systems we can use um, in, you know, different clinic settings and whether we're using um, reminders or uh, recalls if someone hasn't received their vaccination through some of our automated electronic medical record systems and utilizing the support of all of our staff to talk about these issues um, 
you know, ask what someone's updated immunization status is, you know, as they're getting roomed. But again, they may not trust that person as much as they trust us as their provider. And so, um, you know, you really harnessing that that trust, I think, is such an important issue. Um, and I think there's a lot of other broader public health issues that I know so many professionals are working on to try to improve this. But um, I, yeah, I think we probably don't have too much more time to discuss that um, we could go on and on about <laughs> vaccine hesitancy and, and how we can um, improve it um, for all of our patients. Um, but I guess, uh, is there anything else that you wanted to kind of close with? And I, I think that uh, everything you've gone through um, and everything we've talked about, you know, like you said, there are many, many people who have been thinking about this for way longer than either of us have and who are far, <laughs> far more um, expert than we are. But but I think at the end of the day, if, if there's a take-home message when it comes to vaccine hesitancy is that patients are not um, like you, it is wrong to think that a patient doesn't want to take a vaccine because they are stupid or they're worthy of blame and shame and, and, and all of that. There are many, many um, valid reasons why people may not want a vaccine. There are many reasons that may not be based in reality, but that a patient is very much concerned about and experiencing and worried about nonetheless. And to dismiss those does all of us a disservice. Um, and so, like you said, this case method is a, is about meeting patients where they are and capitalizing on, on trust to help them lead a healthier life and help us have healthier communities. So um, there's lots we can read about out there, um, but but I, I think just coming to all of these with these conversations with some humility and understanding um, is, is extremely important. I think you perfectly summed up our entire conversation and all the work that so many people have been doing for so many years and I know we'll continue to be doing. And so um, I, I really love that about having an open mind and treating everyone with respect and meeting them where they're at. So um, with that, I think we'll close and uh, thank you so much for joining us today. And I hope this was a helpful conversation and uh, hopefully we can all help um, each and every one of our patients um, and meeting them where they're at with uh, vaccines and all their health um, issues. So thank you again, everyone. Take care.